The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning, Shades. Um, I want to invite you guys to open your Bibles to James 4, uh, 1 through 6. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives, a, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Four quick things before we begin. Number one, Austin Suter, you want to stand up? Uh, friends, Austin is the executive director of United We Pray uh, that Jonathan was just talking about. So if you want to know more about United We Pray, talk to that man right there. Great. All right. Thank you, Austin. Uh, second, just a heads up, this talk is not an exposition of a certain text. So I'm a man under authority this morning. Uh, Jonathan has requested this talk, but please know as a preacher, every time I'm in front of God's people on the Lord's Day, I feel compelled to share the good news about a good God who saves bad people through the death and resurrection of his son, who died in the place of sinners so that if we turn from our sins and trust in him, we may receive eternal life. Amen? Amen. Friends, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. This talk is rooted in the gospel. So if you're here, especially if you're not a Christian, make sure you don't leave today without understanding what the gospel means for you. Number three. I have a free copy of my book talking about race to the first person who raises their hand and wants to read it. Okay, front row right here. All right, there we go. Oh, oh, man. Excellent. All right. Number four. Let's pray to begin our time together. Father, we can talk and talk and talk, but if you don't help us, We won't make any progress. So we come to you not as grown-ups who have it all figured out, but as your children who need help and wisdom and who believe your promise that you're happy to give it to those who ask. And so we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Grace and peace, sisters and brothers, it's good to be with y'all this morning. I bring you greetings from Iron City Church, and I want to thank you for having me. Uh, Your pastor, Jonathan, has been a dear friend to me. Uh, He's such a dear friend that he's invited me to speak upon my first time meeting you on the most controversial topic (laughs) known to man. You're a generous man, Jonathan. (laughs) I should say up front that I really do have all the answers, okay? 
So if you have a question, especially if it is a really hard and thorny question about these issues, I will happily answer it. Just email me at jonathan at shadesvalley.org. <laughs> jonathan at shadesvalley.org. Just email me. I will answer your difficult email within the hour. <laughs> Seriously, though. Uh, Shades Valley Church family, uh, I really am grateful for your pastor. Uh, this is my first year being a lead pastor ever. And let me just say, being a pastor is hard. Being a pastor is hard. Pastors need friends. And pastors need encouragement. Discouragement is one of Satan's favorite arrows for pastors. But your pastor has been like a shield for me. A pastor to me. He's been like a cheerleader who's come alongside me, been rooting for me. So Jonathan, I really do praise God for you, brother. Uh, even though you've made it so that the first time I meet your people, I'm talking about hard things. <laughs> and that's kind of the point, isn't it? I, I mean, why is it so hard for Christians in America to talk about race? Uh, have you ever asked a question like that? Why is there so much defensiveness and division, suspicion and strife on racial matters among those who claim to be united in Jesus? After all, aren't Christians supposed to be slow to speak and slow to anger, James 1.19? Aren't we to be truth and love speakers, Ephesians 4.15, and burden bearers, Galatians 6.2? Can't the gospel overcome any barrier, including ethnic divides, Ephesians 2? If so, why is it so hard for us to speak with grace and truth about issues of race? Friends, I ask this question because as the last few years, last few decades have shown us, speaking about race is an obvious difficulty. And often the obvious things are the most important things, yet they're also often the most easily assumed or glossed over things, right? We'd rather just speed past the difficulty. But if we slow down and stare at the difficulty. Not only will we have a better idea of what to expect in these conversations, we'll have a better idea of how to love one another through them. Friends, if we appreciate the difficulty of this conversation, I think by God's grace, we'll better appreciate each other. We'll be slower to anger, quicker to forgive, quicker to forbear with each other. So if you're here and you want to work for justice or you want to work for unity in your church, I think you'd do well to think about this obvious question. Why is it so hard to talk about race? Friends, let me speak plainly. I think this question is as important as it is ignored. So many of us want to do big things when it comes to racial justice, but we can't even have a constructive conversation with that person we dread seeing at Thanksgiving, much less on Sunday morning. So many of us want to maintain unity in the church, praise God, but we haven't even paused to think about the most obvious of questions, about the small things. And maybe if we gave faithful attention to the smaller things, God would give us grace for the bigger things. 
like loving one another. So I ask again, why is it so hard to talk about race? On one level, we could simply say sin. That's our foundational answer, and it's a wise one. This is James' answer in James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James essentially said you got beef. It's because you got sin. And even if it's not our sin, the curse of sin, the frustration of this fallen order that causes us to groan, as Romans 8 talks about, troubles our conversations. So, sin is the reason it's so hard to talk about race, but that's an unsatisfying answer, isn't it? You likely already knew these conversations are hard because of sin, but even more than that, sin doesn't exactly answer our question about why race, as opposed to other topics, is so hard for Christians to talk about. After all, Christians talk about lots of things in this fallen world with far less difficulty than we do race, work, sports, parenting. I'm not saying those conversations are always easy, but not many of them get us going quite like race. So what gives? James' epistle helps us here. Notice it doesn't stop at James 4.1. James went on to name specific sins, what they were and who generally commits them alongside other pastoral concerns. For instance, in James 5, James explicitly warned the rich of God's coming judgment for their sin of defrauding poor, poor field workers. This passage sounds a lot like Proverbs 13.23. An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. We can see that while sin was James' answer to the question about why Christians are in conflict, it was not his only answer. He dove deeper. And we're going to follow James' lead. We've presented the simple answer, sin, and now we'll dive deeper into sin and other issues so we can make progress. And what follows, we're going to break out 11 specific reasons why talking about race is so hard. And here's how we'll do that. We're going to look at the bad fruit. That is the things we evidently see happening in our conversation. And then we're going to look at the root of that fruit. That is the reason it's happening. So the fruit is the what. The root is the why. And I'm going to try to spell out what we can do in light of these fruits and roots to have more helpful conversations. I don't want to just say what's wrong this morning, but give you a biblical way forward. So... Why is it so hard for Christians to talk about race? Fruit number one, we try to have every conversation in every conversation because, root one, race and racism are broad topics. So hard to talk about race because, fruit one, we try to have every conversation in every conversation, and we do that because, root one, race and racism are broad topics. I often call race the Velcro issue because so many aspects of life stick to it. Politics, housing, economics, education, other aspects of life. I remember my late mother sharing about the first time she had a chili dog. She was five years old, living in Fayetteville, North Carolina. She ate at a segregated lunch counter and was not allowed to use the restroom as a black girl. Racism had reached 
the bathroom, the kitchen counter, a little girl's plate, and her memory too. Oftentimes our conversations about race are hard because we don't know where to begin and we certainly don't have the competency to speak to every topic. So what can we do? Specify. Specify. We can try to locate our real disagreements. Kevin DeYoung speaks to why doing so proves helpful. He says, with racial matters, we are often guilty of making every conversation about everything else. So even though the disagreement started off by talking about American colonial history, we ended up arguing about Donald Trump, mass incarceration, and corporate repentance. To be sure, sometimes everything is connected to everything, but I still maintain that our conversations will produce more light than heat if we can focus in on one argument at a time. By more carefully isolating our real disagreements, we will be better equipped to talk responsibly, listen respectfully, and find common ground and move in the direction of possible solutions, end quote. Conversations are so hard about race are so hard because we try to have every conversation in every conversation, and we do that because race and racism are broad topics. So let me give you one practical tip when it comes to improving our conversations about race? It's a simple question. You can ask, that will save you headache and heartache. And here it is. What did you mean by fill in the blank? When someone says something that challenges or confuses you, instead of charging at them, you can clarify with them. What did you mean by systemic? What did you mean by colorblind? Let's keep going. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number two, we don't always agree on what the injustice of racism is. Because, root two, race and racism are complex topics. So hard to talk about race because we don't always agree on what the injustice of racism is. And we don't agree because race and racism are complex topics. Consider the idea of race for a moment. But when it comes to race, what exactly are we talking about? A reality, a fiction, a biological fiction, but a social fact. How many races are there? Has the answer changed over time and how? What does scripture have to say about these questions? Have Christians always agreed on, on an understanding of what it says? And now consider racism. Christians agree that racism is sin. But what that sin particularly is, how clearly it manifests, the extent to which it runs throughout, throughout society, and who perpetuates it? Oh, that's a different story, isn't it? You might have heard what I said, what I said earlier about the Velcro nature of racism and disagreed. What's more, when it comes to Race and racism, we're not just dealing with sin. We're dealing with ideas and cultures that have molded and morphed over time. We're dealing with implications of other convictions we hold. For example, just take the mission of the church. What we believe about the mission of the church. What we believe the mission of the church is will impact how we think the church should respond to racism. And that's just one example. We could keep listing examples, but it's clear that often our conversations about race are hard because the topics are complicated. So what can we do? 
study. We can study. We can read. We can learn. And listing all those questions about race and racism a moment ago, my goal wasn't to confuse you, but to show you the difficulty of the matters at hand. If the amount of questions or lack of agreement on the answers doesn't mean the disputes about race are unimportant or they don't have true answers that can be taught, learned, and clarified, doesn't mean we should just agree to disagree on all these important discussions. Rather, the abundance of questions and rebuttals means that the answers will take work. Bible open, like the Bereans in Acts 17.11, scripture examining work. So on the podcast, uh, Jonathan, that we do on Wednesday, we can talk more about stuff you can read, good books you can read. Um, So yeah, I'll just uh, talk about that then. But I want to keep going. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number three. Sometimes we speak harshly because root three Race and racism are painful topics. So hard to talk about race because fruit three, sometimes we speak harshly. And we do that because root three, race and racism are painful topics. It's one thing for a subject to be complicated. Take the Trinity, for instance. It's complex. It's mystery. And though it's one that deeply, more than anything, bears upon our existence, it is not an issue spoken about with half as much angst as race. And that's because beliefs about the Trinity have not usually produced the pain that beliefs about race have caused. Beloved, no people group has been enslaved because of their view of the Trinity. At least in the history of America, no civil wars have been incited over beliefs about the divine's triune nature. No one was redlined by the Federal Housing Administration for being a Unitarian. But when it comes to race, the case has been different. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many people understand to touch upon the core of their identity. And so the matters are personal. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters people see in the faces of their children. And so the matters are cherished. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many people understand to have financially picked their pockets. So the matters are costly. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many Christians understand themselves to suffer from today. So the matters are relevant. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters that stir up painful memories of rejection and indignity, and violence. So the matters are tender. They're painful. And because racial issues are so painful, they make our conversations weighty and hard. And sometimes those of us who are pained speak out of that pain. We lash out. We exaggerate. We're acerbic. Maybe it's because we don't feel we'll be hurt otherwise, or maybe it's simply because hurt people tend to hurt people. So what can we do? Remember and forgive. Remember that it is possible to be angry but not sin. 
Psalm 4. In other words, sometimes it's okay to be angry. Sometimes it's right. Remember, however, that revenge belongs to God, Romans 12, 19. And remember that he didn't take vengeance out on you when he would have been right to do so. A New Testament scholar, Esau Macaulay, shares a lesson all Christians can learn from black Christians who are righteously angry over racism. He writes, the profound act of God's mercy gives us theological resources to forgive. What do black Christians do with the rage we rightly feel? We send it to the cross of Christ. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number four, sometimes we don't give the conversation enough weight because root four, race and racism aren't painful topics for everyone. So hard to talk about race because sometimes we don't give the conversation enough weight and we don't do that because race and racism aren't painful topics for everyone. One reason conversations about race are so hard is because we come to the table with vastly different experiences. So someone may be talking about race, but in a detached manner. Uh, For this person, racism is engaged as an idea, not an experience. And what do we do with ideas? We evaluate them. We test them. We think about them in the abstract, them, in, in, in the abstract, poking and prodding to evaluate the truthfulness of claims against what we previously understood to be true. And this may be fine in some sense if the folks we're talking to likewise know race as an idea rather than an experience. However, when speaking with someone who's been on the receiving end of racism, speaking such, in such a theoretical manner can be horribly harmful. It not only damages your listener, but it also frustrates the conversation. As we've just considered, when many folks think of racism, they're not thinking in abstractions. They're thinking about things that have happened to them and those they love. I will never forget when I told my late mother about my church here in Birmingham. Mom was one of the godliest women I knew. I said, hey, Mom, I found a church. She said, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I said, yeah, uh, it's in Birmingham. And she said, oh, Isaac. I told the Lord I would never step foot in that city after what they did to those four little girls. Mom was old enough to be one of those girls. You see, she's not thinking in abstractions. For her, racism isn't a mental exercise or a a matter of talking points. It's an experience she didn't have the luxury of dodging. So what can we do? Localize our experience. Localize our experience. Frankly, the temptation to speak about race abstractly is a greater temptation for my white brothers and sisters. And one simple thing you can do is be aware of what we've just described. Don't universalize your experience. I heard a great line the other day. Your universe isn't universal. Your universe isn't universal. Beloved, recognize that someone else may have a very real and very different experience, one that you should recognize as worthy of great sorrow. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit five. We disagree on how to apply the Bible to issues of race because, root five, 
we read the Bible in different ways. So hard to talk about race because we disagree on how to apply the Bible to issues of race because we read the Bible in different ways. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. Pop quiz, who said that? Anyone? Abraham Lincoln said this in his second inaugural address to a war-torn country. And it seems, while to a lesser degree, the same problem remains. The problem is in the Bible. It's that we have different notions of how to apply the Bible. One friend of mine said it helpfully. When, he said, one reason believers disagree on issues like systemic racism, racism is that we have different intuitions about common grace insights. Some hold deep suspicion, whether consciously or not, about secular scholarship. Others are more open to it as an expression of common grace. So Christians who agree on paper about the sufficiency of Scripture still end up with different instincts about how to apply Scripture to the ethical challenges of our day, end quote. So what can we do? Name this difference. Name it. Scripture is clear in its basic teaching about the gospel. Moreover, no one is allowed to read the Bible however they want. That said, simply recognizing that there can be legitimate differences in how Christians understand implications of Scripture can go a long way toward engendering charity and hard conversations. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number six. We don't know how to talk to one another because, root six, our churches are largely racially segregated. It's so hard to talk about race because we don't know how to talk to one another. And we don't know because our churches are largely racially segregated. Perhaps we could recognize the difference in how we approach Scripture if we knew one another. But many American neighborhoods are segregated, and so are their churches. Time prevents discussing whether this segregation is de facto, de jure, or some mix of the two. But the point is, despite the rise in interracial evangelical churches, most are divided. And it can't be denied that this segregation is because of the church's racism in the past. As Jamar Tisby notes, there would be no black church without racism in the white church. One distressing effect of this segregation is that it's hard to get to know one another. And so we may very well be ignorant of how members of another ethnicity operate or speak or what they've gone through. And we often fill the void of our knowledge with false assumptions and narratives that frustrate any potential conversations further still. So what can we do? Build relationships with people not like us. Build relationships with people not like us. The trend toward multi-ethnic evangelical churches is that minorities attend predominantly white churches, not vice versa. Until we see the trend going in both directions, where whites will attend faithful gospel churches where they are not in the racial majority, conversations about race will continue to be difficult. I'm not trying to kick all the white people out of your church, Jonathan. We can talk more about this on the podcast. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit seven, 
We fight and quarrel on social media. Someone said amen. So hard to talk about race because we fight and quarrel on social media, and we do that because Root 7, we're having conversations in the wrong place. We fight and quarrel on social media, and we do that because we're having conversations in the wrong place. While great good can be accomplished through social media, social media, by definition, inhibits or prohibits many aspects of conversation. Tone. Body language. This is my body language. (laughs) Discourages other aspects of helpful conversation. Nuance. It rewards inattention. The faster you scroll, the more content you get, the more polemical you are, the more likes you get. While these challenges may not be unique to online conversations about race as opposed to other topics, social media has contributed something unique to the racial discourse in America. A horrifying genre of videos of black image bearers being killed. I mean, think back to the last racial tragedy you witnessed. How'd you learn about it? Was it through social media? Think back to the place you saw people squabbling about it. Was it on social media? Am I saying get off Twitter, Facebook, and the rest? No. But I am saying be careful with them. After all, social media has a disinhibition effect where we are emboldened to say words online that we would never say in person to someone. Is why the cocktail of George Floyd and COVID at the same time was so dangerous. Because you're at home, you haven't seen that person in months. You're like, yeah, I'm going to say this thing. You never say that to them on Sunday. What can we do? Talk face to face. Face to face. Matthew 18, 15 says that when we have a problem with someone, we should first go and address it with them directly and privately. Friends, how much better would conversations about race be if we had them over across our dinner tables rather than across the internet? And this point connects to our last. If we're segregated, we can't talk, to, can't talk face-to-face. And even if we have racially integrated networks and churches, are we taking advantage of them? I'm struck by when I travel and speak, how many people in churches have not even had a meal in the home of someone of a different ethnicity? Though social media didn't exist in his day, and though he had much to say, John recognized that some conversations were better face-to-face. Third John, I got a lot to say to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. We need to recognize the same when it comes to speaking about race. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number eight, we don't know what to say at times. Because root eight, we're conflicted and lack wisdom. So hard to talk about race because we don't know what to say at times. And we don't know because we're conflicted and lack wisdom. One reason that conversations about race are so hard is because when they come up, we, can be, we easily can be conflicted or realize just how weak our words are. Moreover, in racial conversations, as in any conversations, there is a time to answer fools and a time not to. And it's not always clear which one is which. 
So what can we do? Discern whether it's time, it's a time to speak or a time to be silent. Discern whether it's a time to speak or a time to be silent. When conflicted, here are a few questions to ask to determine whether you should continue a conversation about race. Number one, have I prayed about speaking with this person? If you lack wisdom as to whether you should talk to that person, do what Scripture says, ask God. James 1.5. Another question, do I have a responsibility to say something? Do I have a responsibility to say something? Is this a situation in which I should be a voice for the voiceless, Proverbs 31.8, or point out a brother or sister's sin, Matthew 18, Galatians 6.1, or am I grabbing a dog by its ears, entering a quarrel not my own, one I shouldn't enter? Next, is this conversation good for my heart or my listener's heart? By continuing this conversation, am I signing up for unnecessary discouragement? Am I needlessly repeating an offense? Next, is this conversation good for the building up of my church? Will this conversation result in the building up or the tearing down of my church? If brothers and sisters were to listen in on this conversation, would they be challenged and helped or disheartened and grieved? Next, is this person I'm talking to given to unrighteous anger or division? Scripture is clear. We should avoid these kinds of people. Next, does this person act as if they're interested in a good faith conversation? Do they want to make friends or make a point? Do they want to win over people or win an argument? Are they willing to be one? In other words, are they willing to their mind being changed? If not, Consider talking to people who actually want to have a conversation. There are lots of them out there, and you only have so much time. The days, after all, are evil, Ephesians 5, and short, Psalm 103, 15. We are more obligated to speak to some people, family members, for example, than others. And I should qualify that as a pastor. I often I offer my time to members of our church regardless of where I perceive them to be on racial matters, but this list still offers a helpful rubric, I think, for considering how far to go, even in those conversations. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit number nine. Even if we did know what to say at times, we'd be afraid to say it. And that's because root nine, we fear receiving or inflicting pain. It's so hard to talk about race because even if we did know what to say at times, we'd be afraid to say it. And that's because root nine, we fear receiving or inflicting pain. More Christians than ever want to get issues of race and racism right. Praise God. We don't want to make them worse. We don't want to be insensitive. And when we see the weight of these matters, as we talked about earlier, and the harm that can happen if we drop that weight, we tremble. We retreat. Or if we do talk, we speak mainly with those with whom we feel safe. After all, 
Friends, the truth is, is that it's not hard to talk about race with everyone. We likely have people we feel safe enough talking about these matters with because we trust them. They're in our circle. We feel as if they'll, they will be nice to us and give our sincere questions and qualms a fair hearing. Those folks in our circle, and often the lines of that circle are drawn around people who happen to share our ethnicity and look just like us, talk and think and vote just like us. But outside of that group, we don't have the same confidence. I mean, be real with me. Have you ever felt that you'd love to share your honest opinion about a racial matter? But you didn't feel like you could. Maybe you felt like the race conversation is often just black and white, and we could really benefit from talking about the Asian or Native American or Hispanic struggle, but you didn't feel safe to share this thought. Maybe you've tried to share your thoughts before, and the conversation blew up. You were met with defensiveness or disregard. Maybe you were even called names by your own friends. Beloved, ask yourself, who would want to sign up for that again? Who wants to enter a conversation in which there is a lot of criticism and little grace? Friends, I think, I'm just going to go off the script here for a second. I think Satan is having a field day in this regard. He wants the church of God not to be a place where you can come and be honest with your brothers and sisters. He wants you all to come here and put on a mask. I don't mean in relation to COVID. I mean in, hey, I'm just going to be here, not really being honest about who I think, what I believe. I'm just going to come here and put on a mask. And the church will just be a nice masquerade ball. Look at us religious people. We don't ever hurt each other's feelings because we're never honest with each other. And the world can sniff that out. Jesus can't be that real. Those people can't even tell each other what they think. This is what I'm getting at in talking about race. We have to drop the masks in church. No masquerade balls here. We're going to be real about who we are. Talking about race, the original title was supposed to be We Wear the Mask, and then COVID happened. So the publisher was like, we can't do that. Uh, and they were right. Anyway, more on that, talking about race for the podcast. I don't know. Uh, Jonathan can pick. Uh, what can we do? What can we do? Take it easy. Take it easy. We will make the work of entering these conversations easier if we go easier on each other. In Titus 3, Paul instructs Titus to remind his people to avoid quarreling and to be gentle toward everyone. Not everyone who happens to agree with me, toward everyone. Friends, when it comes to these conversations, we have two options. We can outlaw them. You can't talk about that here in church. Or we can lower the volume. Take it easy. Speak kindly. Love in Genesis, when Joseph sees his brothers who sold him into slavery, they come to him trembling for their lives. Joseph says, I will provide for you and your little ones. You thought it was God. You thought you sent me here. God sent me here. And Scripture says, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. If Joseph can speak kindly to people who sold him into slavery, you can speak kindly to that person who posted something annoying on Facebook. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit 10. 
we don't think well about race and racism. We don't think well about race and racism because, root 10, we haven't been taught well. We don't think well about race and racism because, root 10, we, don't, we haven't been taught well. One reason that conversations about race are so hard is because too many American evangelicals lack thinking with biblical nuance. Sadly, when it comes to using our God-given brains, evangelicals often only have two speeds. For the evangelical, if something is not essential for salvation, it's often regarded as completely unimportant. Issues then are either of speed one, ultimate importance, or speed two, no importance. Or reflecting on the sin and scandal of evangelicals refusing to love the Lord with their minds, Oz Guinness elaborates on evangelicals' poor thinking habits, saying American evangelicals characteristically display an impatience with the difficult, an intolerance of complexity, and a poor appreciation of the long-term and the disciplined. Correspondingly, we often, only, we often demonstrate a tendency toward the simplistic especially in the form of slogans or overly simple either-or solutions. And this either-or mental proclivity is why evangelicals often pit two good things against each other, evangelism versus justice, the spiritual versus the social, man's responsibility versus God's sovereignty. It's why we often see those who disagree with us as a part of the faithful or as a full-blown heretic. We only have two speeds. And I think the blame for this kind of thinking is largely to be laid at pastor's feet. Hey, Jonathan. <laughs> Brother, if I may, just personal conversation, why do our people not think deeply about the sin of racism? Is it because we teach on the need to confess and battle lust and greed, but not partiality? As a pastor, brother, I know how difficult it can be to teach on these matters. To be sure, no pastor can or should be an armchair sociologist or political pundit, and it's easier to become one of those than you might think. And yet, we shouldn't fall into the other side of the ditch either, the side of complete reticence. Pastors, when it comes to justice, the Bible is not silent. When it comes to the image of God, the Bible is not silent. When it comes to love... The Bible is not silent. No doubt we can only say so much for the more specific we get, the more we are binding consciences to something Scripture may not mandate. Yet, pastors, we also have to realize that some of us have wrongly divorced matters of race from discipleship, and we've taught our people to do the same. In doing so, we've wrongly taught our people that Christ's lordship doesn't extend to this area of their lives and understanding, but it does. And we've wrongly refused how to model how to have these conversations for them, and they have floundered for it. It's one reason just to encourage y'all as a church, I love this series you're doing, brother. Y'all might not know it because Jonathan is humble and won't throw a pity party, but he was texting me be like, brother, pray for me. This is really hard. Talking about race. Your, your pastor's sweating bullets on Saturday trying to get this together for y'all. It's not easy. Satan's not pleased. Go back to wearing the mask, the masquerade ball. That's what we need at church. Because then people can't see the way y'all love one another, and then they can't see Jesus. John 13, 35. By this, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. 
So keep playing dress up and don't actually love each other because then they can't see the sun. John 17, Lord, make them one just as you and I are one so that the world might believe that you actually did send the sun. There's something evangelistic at stake in this conversation. I often tell people, if you care about evangelism, you better care about racism. Because there is, there is a whole witness at stake. Okay, that was all for free. <laughs> all right, what can we do on this point about not thinking well? Get a 10-speed bike. Get a 10-speed bike. In some sense, the, suggestion, the suggested action items above will help you think better. But a crucial one is this. Find a friend who thinks well and who disagrees with you. That kind of friend is like a 10-speed bike on which your thinking can ride around on and be improved. A white pastor comes to mind who once had very strong thoughts on reparations. That is, until he spent time with a group of black pastors. Beloved, diverse friends enrich thinking. And we're simply going to have to have more speeds than heretic and faithful if we're going to love one another and work together. We're going to have to watch more than Fox News or CNN if we're going to love each other and work together. Beloved, we have to recognize that someone disagreeing with us or with our perspective does not necessarily make them a racist or a Marxist. And we have to recognize that someone disagreeing with us or our perspective is not necessarily synonymous with that person disagreeing with God. Next. Why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit 11. Fruit 11. Not all of us want to have a conversation. Because, Fruit 11, we don't want to hear it. So hard to talk about race, because not all of us want to have a conversation, and we don't want to have one, because if we're honest, Fruit 11, we don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm tired of this. It's tempting to think that there's a perfect way to talk about race, and if we just use the right words, then our problems would be solved and we would all get along. Years of having these conversations have shown me that this ideal is but a fantasy of the uninitiated. To be sure, there are better and worse ways to talk about race, hence this talk. But sadly, in some cases, it does not matter how biblically faithful one's presentation is. There are some folks who, when it comes to race and racism, don't want to hear it. Or simply, they don't want to hear another perspective. Maybe it's because they fear what learning about race and racism will mean. Maybe it's because they wrongly assume that unity means that we can never disagree. Maybe it's because they prefer their narrative of the world. Maybe it's because people's minds are really hard to change. Beloved, people usually believe what they believe for a reason. Civil rights leader and theologian C. Herbert Oliver said that ideas are expressed in institutions, they're not easily arrived at and therefore not easily changed. Ideas easily acquired are easily lost. The permanence of these institutions make them defy change and they refuse to give ground without a struggle. So beloved, whatever the case, if sinful stubbornness is our problem, the action step is simple. What can we do? My last suggestion. Repent. Repent. 
Friend, if we've been hard-hearted about issues of race, we can either dig in our heels or turn our eyes toward Jesus. And in him we can find a Savior who is tender and forgives our callousness, a keeper who shores up our insecurity, and a friend who welcomes us despite our pushback. There is hope for us yet to repent. The scandal of the gospel is not that Christian sin, that Christians sin or say racially insensitive things. The scandal of the gospel is that Christ forgives repentant racists. He forgives people who blunder through conversations. So, beloved, repent if you need to. Put the psalmist prayer on your lips. Lord, show me my hidden faults. The psalmist is not saying, but Lord, I don't have a racist bone in my body. The psalmist is not saying, but look how many black friends I have. Lord, forgive my hidden faults. Show me them. On that note, we should pray, and I will sit down. Uh, but before we do, can I just give you some homework? Um, here are some questions to discuss. Maybe this would be good for a small group or your lunchtime conversation today. Answer these questions. One, which of the reasons for why it's so hard to talk about race resonated with you most and why? Two, which reason did you disagree with most and why? Three, which reason would you add? This is not an exhaustive list. Which reason would you add and why? Let me pray for us. Father, help us to love, listen, and speak. To do justice, to love mercy to walk humbly with you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen.